Hello and welcome back to Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today again. Your co-hosts Valine Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Well, listeners, uh, it is the first week of April. As a matter of fact, we're recording this on April Fools, and we're yet to play an April Fools prank on anybody because you know I think that'd be kind of cruel at this point <laughs> right. in our lifetime. <laughs> So we're still in the midst of the corona pandemic and dealing with all of the fallout from that. Um, but we have something a little different for you guys this week. We're hoping to give you a little glimpse of hope in, from our perspective, but also agriculture in general. Um, we feel like the world has thrown us a few lemons, and I'm going to go with our cheesy phrase, and we're going to figure out how to make lemonade. And I think after a week of everything hitting the fan and settling down there's some hope to be seen i've seen it the phone started to ring again we're starting to kick off new projects people are calling and the spring weather i think is always a time for me to be hopeful for the next stage of life so we wanted to kind of move past the the fear and the panic and and see what's out there yeah but before we get into that uh, we do have to put in a plug for our virtual 5K on Saturday, uh, April 4th. Run it wherever you are at, track it, and tag us in it. Um, you can tag us in it on tag us in it on Facebook. <laughs> we have an event going on there. Um, the first 10 runners to do that, whether they're Millennial Ag fans or not, are going to get a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> and we just got... Um couple weeks ago got new orders of stickers in so they're a little revamped um, check out our social media pages to see them and if you don't want to run or walk or just have fun with your family um, wherever you're at you can message us and we can get you a sticker um, we're selling them as well so be sure to ch- check us out on those and we're excited to help Catherine complete her goal even if it is just virtually. We'll do a we'll do a real 5k race with a lot of people once it's all blows over, but we're finding out ways to make our goals and our ambitions still happen even in midst of of this craziness. Yep, and to continue to um, be parts of communities even if we are Still practicing social distancing, which is going to be a phrase I am glad to see leave the lexicon, that's for sure. Absolutely. So, Catherine, let's dive into this week's episode. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. So, listeners, this week we want to talk about hope Um, because if there's anything that we've seen coming out of this pandemic that's positive, it's the hope um, that's coming from learning how to live our lives a little bit differently day to day and also looking towards the future and seeing what these changes are bringing Um, for the agricultural industry. And we see a lot of hope um, hanging around the edges here. Yeah, it seems like there's been a lot of initially a doomsday freak out, hold on, everything's everything's headed downhill. But once once we've been able to settle down and take a big picture look at everything going on in agriculture, Despite some of the prices that we're seeing, I think there's a lot of hope for the industry, to be honest. I think so, too. Um, You know, it's always, you should never get too comfortable um, because that's when when, uh, complacency sets in. We've talked about this on our podcast before, and uh, it's a really easy way to get off track. And, you know, if nothing else, this pandemic has certainly shook up business as usual um, across the world, across sectors, across industries. But in agriculture, we're seeing it a lot too. Um, I think it's pretty interesting, you know, obviously there've been um, 
lots of stories about grocery stores running short on stuff, not having anything in stock. But behind that, you know, there's this this understanding that we aren't actually low on the food supply in America. Um, what we're having right now is is you know over purchasing and and difficulties with our supply chain management. Some of the logistics rather than than supply. The supply is there. We just got to figure out how to get it to the consumer. Exactly. So I think, I mean, let's just start there. That's a really bright spot of hope um, in America itself that, you know, we firmly believe and it's encoded in national policy that food security is national security. Um, and and that's been a policy that the United States has followed since the, the founding of USDA in the late 1800s, I believe. So that's just cool. It's it's awesome to know that, you know, amidst all this fear and uncertainty, um, there is, right now, always food at the grocery store. There may not be as much of it as you would like, or maybe not quite the variety that we're used to, but there's definitely food there. And it's, when I've gone to the grocery store to see the shelves being restocked is really refreshing. But even when I was, you know, came back to Colorado and had to run to the grocery store to stock up and and the dairy and the meat case was pretty empty. I I kind of cringed because I'm like, where's the yogurt I typically buy? But then I took a deep breath and was like, hey, that's the products that our family is producing going into homes right here in our community. And it was cool to see where priorities truly lie. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I, I have never in my life seen empty grocery store shelves, not like that. And like you said, seeing those those shelves specifically, milk and or dairy and uh, beef empty, it was a little bit of a shock at first, but it's like, hey, that's really cool. That means that people really, really do want us and believe in us when worse comes to worse and they have to have something nutritious and a little more shelf stable maybe in their pantries. Yeah, and I think they, when, when food is questioned, they realize where it is coming from a little bit too and kind of appreciate the, the food supply chain and the safety in our food supply chain too when when all this happens right or we can at least hope that's the case <laughs> <laughs> i can believe it anyway but i think it also um and maybe this will go longer than than the coronavirus pandemic but i see either both in the beef and dairy and and the crop side of things that there's hope for a new marketing strategy or a new shift in some of the where our supply is going, um, and it's and it's maybe direct to consumer. It's to the grocery stores. It's how can we continue to give the consumer, even when they're in quarantine, that high quality product that we're so proud to produce. Right, and I think that's been one of the coolest things to watch throughout all of this. Um, you and I both follow lots of local um, producers. You know, people who aren't selling necessarily to. Um, a third-party retail chain, but who are selling directly to consumers um, or have made the shift to do that through all of this because because they've had to and in doing so have found an entirely new market that they weren't that they weren't taking advantage of before. Yeah, so it'll be I guess we're hopeful that it'll st- some of that marketing strategy that they're using now is going to benefit them, you know, in, in the next year or two. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, um, it's, it's been said that a lot of innovations came out of World War One, World War Two. you know, out of times of great distress. Um, some of our biggest innovations have come out of, and I think that's playing out here too, maybe not on quite such a grand scale as that, but um, shifting mindsets, mindsets and perspectives on how we can market our products. Absolutely, and I think, 
I think I'm just excited for a little innovation. And we have, with all this, I think everybody, for the most part, unless you're been planting crops and running and gunning in the tractor, most people have been able to take a step back and have some time to to think on just life in general. And I'm hoping that maybe that will bring some innovation too, because, you know, we're having more phone calls with families. We're doing Skypes. We have some time to just process things. So the innovation of having some time at home too might be might be something we'll, we'll see in the next two or three months. Yeah, you know, the seeds have been planted and we've got this time now to to let them really uh, germinate and, <laughs> and you know, uh, foment in our minds a little bit. And, and like you say, we'll see what happens in the next three, six, nine months, what comes out of this. It'll be really, really cool to see, I think. Um, you know, another thing that I think has been cool to see has been just the the surge of reassurance that farming is an essential um, function of, of American life, of, of anybody's life. And, you know, while, while we may be smaller in numbers than we have in past years, um, you know, it seems like there's more interest in kids returning to their farms, um, you know, maybe generational farmers finding ways to expand or to innovate um, in order to, to let family back onto the farm. Um, you know, just a recognition of, yeah, the American farmer does matter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and they're, they're an, they're an essential part of day-to-day living. And for me, that gives a sense of job security. Definitely. You know, a a rest at the end of the day that, you know, we, we still have to run our agricultural operations as a business and we have to make that bottom line meet, but there will always, always, always be a market for our product. Right. We got to make the ins and outs meet, um, but there will always be a market as long as there's humans on this. As long as people are eating. <laughs> planet, and as long as people are eating, there's always a market for our product. We just have to make sure we're on the cutting edge of everything. Yeah, and I think by and large, you know, American agriculture is on the cutting edge of things, and I think that leads really well into our next discussion of hope that we see. Um, what are some things that you've seen in the beef industry? I think that um, come out of this. I think the prices. You know, we had an initial drop, but the the prices are are hopeful, um, and demand has has stayed relatively. Um, consistent over that and we've got low energy costs too as much as I hate to see it in our back door of Weld County Colorado right now and seeing the gas prices way below two dollars a gallon um which we aren't familiar with as millennials when we started driving in the early 20 teens yeah I was I remember um two late aughts I guess yeah (laughs) I forget when I started driving (laughs) I remember hitting the rodeo trail and having to to budget for four dollar a mm-hmm. gallon diesel, yeah, and wondering if my parents were gonna allow me to keep rodeo on because just filling up the truck to get from rodeo to rodeo was expensive. So the fact that we're at diesel below two dollars a gallon right now is is unheard of. But that will allow us to our input costs to go down. Yeah, it will. Um, and you know that that can only help producers recover from a few bad years at least like we've been seeing in the dairy industry absolutely and and time for more innovation too you know we got low energy costs the prop our product cost might be a little below normal or average but futures are looking up and there's a lot of hope and i think there's a lot of hope for 
Um, we're seeing, while the restaurants aren't serving as much as they were, we're still seeing um, takeouts. We're seeing some of our restaurant um, chains in the production line as far as meat production be switched over to retail so that we can meet the high demands because more people are going to the grocery store. So I think we've adapted as well as you can say, um, and I think we're looking at new opportunities with some of this downturn. Yeah, and I think that surge in home cooking you just mentioned is really important too. Um, You know, I I read a statistic not too long ago that said that Americans um, eat fewer than five meals together as a family during the week, um, which was sort of a shocker to me. Maybe it's just different the ways that we grew up, but you know, people, you know, they're quarantined now and they have to cook at home and those are skills that are are really good to to break out and dust off and um you know certainly giving me a lot of time to bake (laughs) which is fun um you know some some resurgence in some of those home economic skills that maybe been a little bit lost too absolutely and learning how to cook maybe lamb something that you and i have probably had a little bit of experience but that was lost during world war ii right and so you know maybe let's find ways to it encourage people to try the skirt steak or the flank steak or a chuck roast if they've never cooked with it because it's easier just to go get hamburger meat from the grocery store um finding ways to encourage some of those fun cuts of meat that i like to try experiment with yeah yeah and and send some of our marketing that way yeah yeah i agree um that's that's a pretty cool thing that's coming out of this as far as the dairy industry goes um you know Unfortunately, we have watched prices tank, just absolutely tank since January. Um, We were promised $20 milk this year, which we haven't seen um, in nearly five years. And then coronavirus hit and things are, I mean, we saw futures yesterday at uh, below $13, which is far below cost of production um, and break-even point is really weighing on dairy farmers' minds. But, um, you know, apart from what the futures look like, and we're hoping that those are going to be a V-shape as well, you know, bounce down and then bounce back up. Um, I think in the industry as a whole, there's a lot of hope for the innovation that is being seen across the sector, particularly in processing. You know, uh, we're always bemoaning, oh, fluid milk consumption is down, fluid milk consumption is down. And, uh, you know, that may be true, but we're seeing by and large across the categories, full fat dairy products are making a comeback and people are eating more dairy than they ever have before they just aren't necessarily drinking it and that demand is there for a for high quality um high nutrition and and quality nutrition products and you know milk is one of our dairy products are one of the most local products excuse me that you can get and so the demand for that is is a really exciting thing to see um across the sector and you know there is there is a little bit of innovation in, in fluid milk. You know, we always trot out Fair Life by Coca-Cola as the as the poster child for for fluid milk. And they, you know, they've done an incredible job with that, the higher protein, lower sugar um, drink. And other cooperatives or other companies are starting to follow suit. Dairy Gold just came out about a year ago with a, a, a similar product called Dairy Gold Fit. And it's that same thing, higher protein, lower sugar, um, you know, just a really nutritionally packed product that it seems like people are really clamoring for these days. And they're starting to take it to, you know, there's the liquid milk and then there's like the protein shake type things that you mm-hmm. can drink at post-workout and it 
And then they're also tailoring that to even coffee creamers and things yeah. like that. And so it was interesting because it, like, I was like, you know, Fair Life or Chobani needs to start coming out with some high protein coffee creamers because that's what everybody puts in their coffee. And those are things are packed full of sugar mm-hmm. typically. Yeah. And then like three months later, Guess what's what? <laughs> what's on the shelf? So it's cool to see that innovation that innovation coming and the the prettier packaging like we've talked about too i think is is slowly making its way right through you know dairy (laughs) we may be a little bit slow to change when it comes to that but there is there is light on the horizon and that's just in you know the products category on the consumer side i think on the production side um you know is there anybody out there more innovative than agricultural producers, whether they're dairy, beef, crops, whatever. You know, they're always coming up with something new to make their operations more efficient and more sustainable from end to end. And I think, you know, dairy always has a great, you know, there's always shining lights in there. But um, one thing that that popped up to mind for this was digesters. Yeah, and using a product, I should say a byproduct of and a literal waste product. <laughs> and a waste product that we have been using as a fertilizer um, to enhance our soil, but we always seem to have too much of it or in too much of a dense population. And what better way to supply energy right. than to capture the methane coming off of it? Yeah, and, and um, you know, do whatever magic they do to turn that into natural gas and either power a dairy or send that power somewhere else where it's needed. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of that kind of development going on right now in the Western United States that that we're kind of aware of, and and looking forward to that being a tool in producers' pockets to um, again make them help make them more sustainable and efficient, and and just to you know give them something else to sort of diversify their operations a little bit. Absolutely, and the and what's also interesting is and and I guess a safe haven once we figure out. Um, some of the hiccups with these things is energy is something at least in the modern day that i i don't see going away either we're going to need we're going to need energy we're going to need natural gas we're going to need something to power our computers and our cell phones and so if we can produce food and then we can produce energy yeah i think we're pretty set at least on on a market it's just getting our product to market that i think we're struggling that we can struggle with right i think you're right and you know there's always a lot of issues with with new innovations and and getting them to where they can be efficient and not you know just huge cost because they're a one-off kind of a prototype is always a challenge but um again agriculture is always more than ready and willing and able to rise to the challenge and i think we're going to see more and more of these types of projects um as time goes on absolutely and i and so we don't forget about um, another big sector in agriculture that Catherine and I aren't always as familiar with. Um, but what do you see as hope for some of the row crop guys and the, the cropping production practices that are going on? You know, that's a really good question. I'm friends with a bunch of crop guys. Um, unfortunately, they like to share pictures on Facebook because <laughs> sometimes they can be a little bit uh, of recluses there in their tractors in the fields. But um, I actually had a friend post something the other day that I found really fascinating. He had, you know, a, a 300 acre field or something like that, a pretty big field. But he had a picture of it on a on a map, an aerial, and uh, it was covered in different different colors of dots. And there must have been 10 or 12 different colors on there. And his explanation was, 
This is a prescription for our field because each part of this field needs a different amount of fertilizer. And we are so tuned in and dialed in with our technology, with, with um, you know, geo-precision planting and fertilizing and everything that we can drive one piece of equipment across 300 acres and in you know 30 or 40 different spots apply a different amount and maybe even a different type of fertilizer um, in this one field whereas you know we're used to just one blanket prescription of put you know x number of pounds of nitrogen on this field and i was just amazed by that you know amazed by the the absolute precision that we're honing in on in agriculture because you know it i mean it's really cool it's a cool thing to do but why do we do it um, you know, and it comes down to those two reasons. One is cost, obviously, if you can better utilize your resources more effectively and save a little bit of money and be more profitable. And two, because we can be better stewards of the land because mm-hmm. of it. And I just, I mean, to me, that just sings absolutely what the spirit of agriculture is about. Yeah, balancing everything we want to do and getting it down to a science, getting it down to a prescription and using you know, the agronomy and the soil health and the water and the crop that the land needs um, is really, really cool to see. It really is. And I love what you just said about what the land needs. You know, um, we plant different things all over the United States because of our different geographic and and climactic regions, but also um, more and more we're planting to what the land is demanding to be better stewards of the earth. And that, you know, that spirit is always within every agriculturist, no matter what part of the industry you're in. But um, to be able to see it play out on a scientific basis is really cool. Yeah, and it's from having a little environmental background and so forth. It just it it's cool to see you know the next step in regenerative agriculture and some of that stuff too. Just looking at at the soil health and looking beyond just the surface level of what we do in agriculture. I think has hope in that and I think we've started to you know pull back the layer of we just need to produce 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 we've got that mastered what's the next level right what what is deeper what is the next thing how can we how can we do more with less absolutely so I mean I I have really loved this discussion and it's it's just you know it's even amping me up at the end of a long day to to discuss between the two of us what we see is hope in agriculture now and for the future um, and knowing that even a global pandemic maybe even especially a global pandemic can't keep us down because when you get right down to it you know I I would make the claim that we are the most essential um, of of workforces out there because everybody does have to eat that's not to dismiss um, any of the other essential workforces but everybody's got to eat and American agriculture is ready, willing, and able to meet that challenge no matter what what the world throws at them. And it's really cool to see agriculture as a whole come together in a time like this. And and there's we're still out there farming fields and milking cows and pulling calves this time of year. And and it's just cool to see agriculture keep moving on and us us know how to pull up our bootstraps and tighten our belt because we've been there we know what hard work is and we know we know how to get through this and we know we will get through it and i think that that for me is a huge hope in in the world population and in agriculture specifically i agree i couldn't have said it better myself so listeners uh that's what we've had on our mind this week 
you know, beyond the doom and gloom, what what's the sunny side of this? What's coming out of this? You've heard our take. We want to hear from you. What are you finding hope in right now? Is it agriculture? Is it your day-to-day job? Is it in spending more time with your family? What is it? Share it with us. Um, and while you're thinking about that, don't forget to go for a run on Saturday and tag us on Facebook. Absolutely. You can, we're on all social media platforms, um, or I guess Instagram and Facebook. Um, <laughs> Catherine's on Twitter, and you can also um, email us at Catherine, K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E, at millennialag.com, or check us out at millennialag.com. Thank you, listeners. Thank you.